Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, The Danimal. How's it going, Matty? Good to hear you. Glad to have you here. And today we are going to sit down and we are going to discuss our newfound love of the AEW. I mean, tell me, what what do you think? AEW, like, what do you like about it? Why has it jumped out so much to you as a boy? I mean, first and foremost, you got to respect the name that it's just branding itself as all elite. There's no, there's, there's nothing subpar about it. So I like that they went all the way for it. Um, and I think on that note, the thing that's kind of stood out to me from the get go was that they've really gone with a little bit of a throwback. You know, it's what's going on between the ropes, bell to bell is the biggest draw. And then they're using that to develop their storylines. That's, a, that's a great like, point. Yeah, because uh, I was just going to add to that. Like it, it's it stands out so how the level of talent with some of these guys they have is so much far and beyond what you're used to seeing on the larger scale of the WWE. With these guys, I feel like these are true. Like they grew up loving wrestling. Like it's not just a big guy who couldn't make it as a football player who decided <laughs> to become a wrestler, you know? Yeah, well, I think that one of the first things that drew me to that, too, was Cody. And that when he kind of started the indie tour, I had really been invested in his WWE stuff because he was just this mid-card guy. Every time I'd drop in, you know, I'd watch for a couple of months and I'd fall out. But he was always in the mid-card. But no matter what they gave him, the commitment was just so over the top. I mean, the Stardust gimmick should have been terrible, but he was so good <laughs> with it that he managed to bring it into like mainstream, get an actor from a comic book show onto a WrestleMania match for a good match, all making it work. And he was just so committed to a great match that when he was breaking free, it was like, whatever he's doing, I think he's going to surround himself by people who have the same passion. And I think that's really kind of what you've talked about, that they're, they're putting it forward and then they're giving the matches time to breathe. You're not seeing just the like, let's go out there and make sure we get guy X and Y on the card for a three minute schmoz. No, that that's also a great point. Like it really does feel like these matches are put together with some thought behind it. Cause I felt like, especially in WWE when it's not jiving, like it feels like they get so many, it almost like they have an embarrassment of talent at times. And when it builds up to be too much, it's like, you got to have this guy come out and do this. You got to have that. Speaking specifically like an era when I was very active, I, I remember that was like the height of like the Rikishi too cool thing. And it was like every night you had to have Rikishi do the stink face. Every night you had to see the worm by Sky Too Hottie. And it these were cl great classic moves. But the issue with that is like, you know, that's where it was the touring like circus element where it's like, if you're a fan, like, and you're attending a show, you need to see that. And so because of that, you're blocking out all this amazing mid-card talent, like the guys like the Cody Rhodes from getting an opportunity to showcase their abilities because you have to fill it up with all the things that everybody's paying to see. Well, yeah. And I think, I think going on that idea that like the tag team, concept of AEW has been so great but it's because they have tag teams that are legitimately tag teams they're guys that their styles work together you know they you know in a lot of cases they've grown up together they've been you know working and touring together for a long time whereas you know the WWE move was we've got two guys that finished their you know IC belt run 
and we don't know what to do with them. Oh, I know it's the classic, you know, you used to hate each other. Now you'll win the belts and have to have this odd couple pairing. But then as a result, you get a good tag team, you know, whether it was, you know, the Hardys or something like that, where, you know, they're going up against, you know, and this was a fun one, but like, you know, Jarrah show and you had Kane and X-Pac where it's just like, <laughs> isn't this funny? Like that, you know, there've been great moments from it, but at the same time, I think that's just like a warming drawer. Whereas, you know, you look at, you look at the guys in AEW and the tag team division is just stacked. I was just going to say like, yeah, I think the epitome of what you're describing was the rock and sock connection where again, it's like the first couple of times you see it, it's like, I love this. This is great. These are two of my favorites together at last. But then after a while, you realize it's like gum and nuts. You know, yeah. it's just, it just doesn't work. So yeah, this is your life was incredible. But at the same time, you know, you're taken away from people that, you know, they've got moves and a move set and everything's that offset each other. Now, I think, I think, that, and you know, once again, what's been interesting with the AEW is that they've really, you know, everything that they're doing, they're really building like long-term storytelling has been so important in the company that they're not shotgunning things. I, you know, I kind of remember on that note, you had the Kenny Omega, Adam Page, where it was like, you know, they're kind of teaming together and it's just like, oh, they're going to turn. And, you know, my natural reaction was like, what do we got, like three weeks? You know, all right, there'll be some dissension and then, then it all blows up and you got the feud, but it's, they're really taking their time. And it's making for compelling watching because, you know, you can miss a week and not worry that a story is going to be turned on its head. And I just feel like that's something that, you know, I, you're not held by the same constraints that I've gotten so used to. It's a great point. And I'm glad you mentioned Kenny Omega too, because I think that that as a superstar is a guy that would never cut it headlining the WWE, but in terms of talent, like these were the guys that like I grew up being such a huge fan of that, like they would only get kind of honorable mention. Like this was like kind of the early onset of like the internet and whatnot. So like a lot of the time I'd have to hear about them through either bootleg shitty VHSs that people ripped off when there was like an ECW pay-per-view or like somebody had like access to some bootleg site from Japan where you could see like a Hayabusa in action. But like these, these guys who had traveled all over the world and had a very well-rounded skill set that you would catch glimpses of guys like, like a great example would be Chris Jericho, like in WWF and WCW era. Um, but just like that, they could do a little bit of everything. It's like, they can do moonsaults. They can do power bombs. They can do like the whole range, the whole gamut. And, and again, I think that speaks to like truly being in love with the craft as opposed to when you see some of these big names, especially in the WWE level where the talent isn't always as important as the charisma, um, you know, you see things like a damn superhero punch becoming like your one signature marquee move, which takes, you know, little kids have been doing that against their dads for generations. Like, come on, no, there's no skill beyond that. It's never worked as well as it does, though. So it's been perfected. But no, and I think <laughs> I think in that, too, that, you know, AEW's really they've taken they've kind of had, you know, the big names, obviously, that they brought over. You had Cody, you had Jericho, like you mentioned. But they took a lot of this new talent, and I don't want to say they forced it on you, but they showcased it, that it didn't just immediately turn into, okay, we're going to have, you know, Jericho and, you know, John Moxley or Brody Lee or Cody Rhodes, you know, that'll be the headliner. And then all these other guys, you know, we'll we'll bring them on to you, that they really were willing, you know, I, I was looking back and listening to some interviews and that 
on, I think, the third episode of Dynamite, they had Darby Allen headline against Jericho. And it was such a revelation. I mean, for me, it was the realization that we saw him at El Corazon, you know, when he was like 22 years old. Right. But the fact that they're taking the new guys and they're putting them at the top of the card, like letting you know, like, these guys are good. These guys are important. And this isn't just, you know, the, the WWE spinoff show, which, you know, I think you look at like, you know, TNA Impact, that was kind of their thing for a while was that, you know, they were signing, you know, they got Sting, they got Hardy, they got Hogan, you know, Lashley had a good run there. But that was kind of their MO, whereas AEW, it's been, you know, okay, we got Cody, but now we're going to put him in a storyline with MJF, who, you know, obviously has been a huge revelation, like Stormy Hill. I was going to say, MJ, I'm so glad you brought him up because honestly, every time I see him, it's like I see your wrestling persona <laughs> in real life, right down to having the signature ring that he carries around as his weapon. Like every time he enters the ring, I'm like, that's the animal. Like, <laughs> see, I, I guess I'm equal parts flattered and insulted because there are parts of him that remind me of me and then parts that remind me of guys that were like a level beyond and annoyed me. And maybe oh, it was just because yeah. I couldn't I couldn't afford the Burberry scarf. But like <laughs> if you want, if you want to like sum up, you know, what every, especially with him being so young, what is such a signature move of like the early 20-year-old is like you get the one thing that's expensive and you just wear it all the time. It was like, oh, you know, are, are those are those seven jeans? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, these are these are my sevens. And it's like, you know, I got them patched at Nordstrom six times because I wore them out so much because I didn't want to wear anything else. So the fact that he fa- finds the way to wear the scarf in the ring at all times is just, it's such a simple thing that just screams heel so much more than, you know, just so- walking in and insulting the crowd. It's so perfect because like I remember specifically my thing when I was around that age was the black shirt, like the, your first like nice bu- bu- like button up, like black shirt oh the seven the seven diamonds yeah of course <laughs> and i'll never forget like going up to meet up with some friends to go out and we were all wearing a, our own variant of the black shirt and just it was just like oh damn and it's so true that's that's literally just a great little character trait that like i didn't even think of but uh going back like darby allen actually like i remember um there was a match very recently where he headlined where it was him against uh, John Silver, who is a guy that, like, I look at him and it's like, that you would never see him headline a match in WWE. The guy's maybe like 5'6", and he's built like a shit brick house. I mean, he's, yeah. he's yoked, and he's amazing talent. Like, he's kind of a goofball character, but like, yeah, the talent's definitely there. And yeah, seeing him pick, going up in a headline match was amazing. Yeah. And it's just, it's been such a breath of fresh air because they're not, they're not holding to styles or sizes necessarily, but at the same time, you know, they've got the big guys, but then, you know, they let them work creatively. Like I I think once again, you know, things I didn't know about like Luchasaurus should not be a concept that works, but (laughs) is awesome. Like just awesome. You've got like a giant, you know, a bit, actually not a giant though. It's a big guy. It's a guy that, like, if I walked up to, I would be like, man, that's that's a big dude. Not like, you know, the WWE model where it's like, for so long, Randy Orton looked like a normal human. Right. And then you realize that he's like 6'4 and, you know, 260. And it's like, how did he not tower over people? So, yeah, like seeing, like, you know, Luchasaurus, it was like, man, a big guy, but he can move. 
and he's tagging with Luke Perry's son, <laughs> which is such an odd thing to be able to say as well. But, and, you know, there's another guy that, yeah, like you said, he would be, you know, a, a, a sideshow, a cruiserweight classic. But, you know, he's put on some really good matches with some big names because they also, I think that they're really looking ahead and they mm-hmm. see the, the Jungle Boys, the Darby Allens, these MJF. These guys are all in their, you know, early to mid twenties. Yep. And the concept of having that kind of talent developing on the largest stage this early is really exciting to think of where they could be in, you know, five to six years. I was going to say one thing too, like one of my like many, many vast, crazy theories that I have these days, which is <laughs> take that for what it is. But um, I really am stoked for that video game that they have coming out. I believe it's next year. Um, I don't know if you know much on this one, but the thing about it is it's being designed by Ukes, which they made the best wrestling games for WCW back in the day. Like these were like the N64, like very- oh, uh, d- WCW versus NWO Revenge? Yes, yes. Oh yeah. Oh so- no, remember, remember it well, I had it. I had yeah. the strategy book, which I don't know why you need one for a game like that, but that <laughs> yeah. was N64 marketing and it's best. Perfect. And, and but that those games, that that kind of design is actually the base model that they're using. So it's being designed with their things. But the one sneaky thing that like I've been catching on to is with the ADEW picking up a kind of all these old cast offs like the Paul Whites and the Christian Cages and all that. All of a sudden now these guys are property of that game. Like you can add them all as you go, especially in the era we're in where video games can be updated on the fly. So they're going to have a quite the roster but it's also going to put over all of those guys that you just mentioned. It's like, you're going to have a game that you can boast. You have Chris Jericho, you have a Cody Rhodes, you have, you know, all these guys that your casual fan may recognize and probably should if they're interested in buying a video game. But on top of that, it's also going to showcase Kenny Omega, Darby Allen, you know, all these other guys that you're really hoping to put over one day and that type of format. I think like it's going to actually go over really well. Um, and I think that that speaks to the leadership, you know, with Tony Khan, like it's, he's a younger guy and he is going to look at something with a lot more interest than a Vince McMahon for. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a builder. Like when you look at what he's done, you know, the, the Jacksonville Jags for, you know, better or for worse have been really interesting under, you know, his family. And, you know, they took the Fulham uh, football club over in the premier league and they've been doing pretty interesting things with that. So I think these are guys that realize that, you know, if you want to go, you know, NFL, go for a Super Bowl, you know, Fulham, even just making the Premier League, it's a very long game. And I think that, you know, that's what you're speaking to, that something like, you know, getting a good wrestling game when, you know, there really hasn't been anything that I've heard, you know, has been a game changer. But then yeah. doing that to where you're going to have all these different guys, and I can only imagine how much cooler it's going to be with the move sets now. Yep. Because, you know, I remember in the WCW NWO, it was like you'd play with different characters, but it was the same, you know, 20 moves spread amongst them all. It was, you know, you had the big guy and it was like, oh, you know, it's the same power bomb that eight guys used as a finisher. But I'm sure the concept of, you know, having some of these really interesting, you know, smaller, quicker guys is going to be drawing people in. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, like, there's a lot of thought that going behind it. I think also the fact that Khan, for the most part, has kind of kept himself reserved. Like, I ultimately believe that he'll eventually have a full-time persona, 
you know, besides the every now and then popping out from behind the apron thing he's doing now. But I think he's wise to kind of let that cultivate over time, you know, rather than, and actually letting a lot of the wrestlers put him over without him having to be on stage. Like you'll hear a lot of references to him, even though he's like rarely on camera. So. Yeah. Well, and I think staying away from any kind of authority angle, which has been a, you know, and I'm not, I'm not just going to throw the WWE on this. That's, that's been, you know, wrestling one-on-one for as long as it's been around, you know, you get, <laughs> you get a, you get a promoter who's, you know, pushing his guy and whether it's the traveling baby face who, you know, beats the evil manager or you got the traveling heel and he's going to get love from the, the guy it's, you know, they're really focusing on the wrestlers. And I think that's continuing to, you know, keep me interested because it's all kind of, it's character driven in a more realistic way. I think that really it became very clear when you saw the response to COVID um, that we've seen this past calendar year where um, you had the WWE unleash the Thunderdome, which was quite the spectacular sight to behold. I'll I'll give them that. Um, It seems like a liability beyond anything I could comprehend, allowing that many screens access to the national television at once. But, you know, that's just me. I can only imagine how many employees you have to have watching like two screens with the the kill button already at every time and, you know, delaying (laughs) it just long enough that someone can react properly without, yeah, just like, yeah, I think, I think we all know what, what people do if they've got a live camera. So, right. But um, yeah, see, I love how the AEW though, they've, they've brought all of their roster out to be ringside to kind of put over all the wrestling chants and to kind of like cheer on the matches. Cause you know, I obviously having the crowd response is something that's been lacking from almost all, you know, live events and sports we've seen these, you know, throughout these times, but also, there's something just like funny about seeing like, this is what a crowd, if they do everything that they're actually trying to put over sounds like, like something's funny about seeing like Jericho waddle down to the ring, playing his own music from like his own hit single from like five years ago and refusing to like start the match until the chorus hits. But because of that, like everyone's kind of singing along with it. And it's like, this is what they idealize, like what it's going to be like when they get a live crowd again. But in the meantime, it's like kind of neat. You're like, Oh, that would be neat if they do that. I can't guarantee yeah. they will. But Just like the perfectly timed AEWs and this is awesomes. Just right. Like, all right. right. You, you know, not having to worry about, you know, and I think regardless of the company, you always have to worry about, you know, the smart wrestling fan that wants to, wants to, you know, cheer the, cheer the, cheer the heel, especially, you know, right now you got Kenny who's heel as the champ and everyone loves Kenny Omega. So, you know, instead he comes out and it's just booze raining down on this <laughs> universally adored wrestler. Like, really telling me if you went to a big wrestling town these people aren't going to be just overwhelmed by seeing him on the big stage but no you're right it's maybe it's maybe it's a training session too you know everyone will get used to hearing those things and oh yeah no we should we should boo him (laughs) i think it i think it's actually going to work for the most part although i do love catching the ones who clearly aren't there to enjoy like uh the one i mentioned before to you is jake the snake roberts like every now and then catching glimpses of him just super pissed he has to be sitting next to luke perry's kid and pretending to like cheer along some guy he's never heard of from like new japan or something it's like it's a thing of beauty to behold no it it definitely feels like i'm not going out there jake it's in the contract like i I know you want to get paid like, all right, but I'm not, I'm not going to (laughs) smile. 
<laughs> I love too some of these like obscure ones. Like he was like a delightful surprise to see him. Arn Anderson. I very much love hearing Jr. Like totally fail to put guys over because he doesn't. It there's so much young talent that he clearly has no idea who half of them are. But he's he's kind of like Woody from Toy Story. And that like he, he they just pull the string every once in a while and it's like <laughs> oh that's a big old hoss that's gonna show you something right there and then it's like he gets kind of quiet and it's Excalibur and Shivani going on for a while and then it's just like you know I, when I watched just last weekend and Moxley comes out and then the young bucks show up and they get in the ring and then he's oh you see them running like scalded dogs it's just like <laughs> good good one Jr like we we needed you for that. I will say too that like it, it's there's something beautiful and sad to witness with that because he was so good in his prime both you know pre-stroke and post like he was always on point throughout his run at WWE like to the degree where you're almost like damn like that guy's like I don't know how he like man just to pitch a shutout every time so it's almost refreshing to see him getting a little older and fucking up here and there just to be like yeah he's a normal human being he can, well, he can I, phone I it into I think too the fact that they, they've really found that spot though in the sense that like they've got they've got Shivani and Excalibur to really do the heavy lifting and then whenever you know whenever JR wants to come in he's got it because no I, I completely agree like I, I think you know any wrestling fan I know, you know, you can do the like, enough is enough, stop the damn match. And it's just like, <laughs> you, you react instantaneously. And I, I I don't know what it was, but I was on a big stretch of just like reading oral histories of the Hell in a Cell mm-hmm. and the JR call of, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that killed him. And, you know, good God almighty, as God is my witness, he's broken in half. And it was just like one of those things where it was like, and he didn't know it was coming, which on yeah. top of it is like, I, I guess it's probably like the Hal Michaels, do you believe in miracles? Like you're put in the most insane position possible. And instead of, you know, me who would just be, you know, on a hot mic, just holy shit. <laughs> like, you know, he delivers this incredible line. So yeah, I'm I'm very glad to see that he's still getting to go out there and you know and also the fact that they and I think it's from, you know, the generation that they're really working to that they're they're ju- well they're obviously in on the joke, but they're willing to acknowledge that they're just in on the joke enough. Yeah. That I think that's something that I've really been enjoying where it's like just last uh I say last night it was, you know, the last episode. Um when they had like instead of the thumbtack spot, they did the Lego spot. Yes. And it just absolutely yes. killed me. But he's like, oh my God, are those, are those Legos? Like, and then, they're, <laughs> you know, you know what, what do you mean? Have you ever stepped on a damn Lego? Like, and it was just absolutely <laughs> killing me. But it was like, you know, just a little bit of like putting it over while knowing that the crowd was in. And that's something that I've just found so refreshing that like, for the most part, they're balancing it, you know, failing pyrotechnics not included which is probably <laughs> right. one of one of the greatest like you, you gotta you gotta do the job moments in announcing history but oh i'm glad you brought that up that is that was the most amazing clip just to see with no context behind it just the, the countdown and everything and just the lamest well yeah the way the way he's you know panicking and then he covers him and then just like, yeah the, the oversold yeah like just like my god they're gonna blow yeah it was 
Yeah, that that's that's an all time. That's one that I feel like they'll they'll go back to. And I also feel like God help that they're going to do another spot where they probably almost will blow someone to the moon <laughs> because it's going to be like, you know, all right. You know, you saw you saw Drew McIntyre's WrestleMania pyro, like just wait for this. And yeah, they're they're going to do something absolutely insane. But no, that was but even that, you know, it, it's funny. I was thinking about that match because while it, it certainly wasn't, you know, the I hate to use the term blow off, but hey, why not? Yeah. yeah. They, I like that it still didn't end the storyline. That that's, it kind of seemed like, that, you know, I, I feel like there's always the, you know, okay, you have the big match at the pay-per-view and something happens. And then, you know, the next episode, the champ comes out and some, you know, random, you know, mid-upper tier guy comes out and picks a fight and then new storyline. So the fact that even after that, you know, maybe it was a great audible, maybe it wasn't, but I think it continues this concept that it's like, you know, they they had this crazy barbed wire death match with, you know, the unfortunate finish, but I think there's still some juice in this, you know, we got two great guys, let's keep letting them run. And I think they're a lot more flexible as opposed to, you know, if it was supposed to be the right off the air with the explosion, you could have still done it, you know, you could have, oh, well, there were a lot of noxious fumes from all those sparklers and, you know, he's going to need time to rehab his lungs, but no, they just kept running with it. And I think that, you know, they're really, you know, listening to kind of what's, what's going on as opposed to feeling like once you set the course, you're, you're set on it. I think too, it helps when you're not beholden to doing the traditional model built around pay-per-views where Mm -hmm. it's like, cause that, that was always the thing that really hindered WCW and WWE was, It's like when you know that you have like what three, four main like pay-per-views and the rest are just kind of like to sell shows along the way. That's what kind of leads to those like rivalries where it's like it's either they have the match and then from the minute the pay-per-view ends, they never speak of it again. Or it's just like it just ends with some bullshit and then it's really just, well, we'll settle this at WrestleMania. It's like... Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you had mentioned the time Rey Mysterio rolled up Kevin Nash one time. And it's like the classic where it's like, first it's Kevin Nash beats the shit out of Rey Mysterio, drops him through God knows how many tables or whatever, you know, dominates throughout. But then the next time gets rolled up in a small package. So now in the marquee, it's like, hey, they're one and one. It's like, no, no, they're not one and one. One essentially you know, got super lucky if we're looking at it from wrestling his real perspective. Yeah. And the other guy just demolished him. Like, but you're just building up the hype, moving it along, continuing to move it, you know, keep it moving until you get to the main show, I suppose. Yeah. And I think, I think that AEW was kind of finding their footing, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, moving forward, I'll probably pull the trigger on buying the next one, but they're doing them rarely enough that it, it does seem important. And that it also doesn't devalue the weekly show because yes. I think about, you know, the, the pinnacle of the, the Monday night wars, you've got the famous Tony Schiavone, you know, mankind's going to defeat the rock. That'll put some butts in the seats. Yep. But that was what they had to do. They were doing title changes and big storyline moments because they would needed people to tune in every week. And, you know, I think that, you know, WWE has, you know, like you said, they've, they've got their model, they've got, you know, their, their network. So the, the big stuff happens on the pay-per-views and the rest just gets you there. But as a result, I'm, you know, just as likely to, you know, hop onto a wrestling blog and read a couple of quick recaps. And if there's a good match, I'll catch it on YouTube. Whereas with AEW, there is kind of this feeling of like, I really don't know what's going to happen 
because they're not just like, and you know, be sure to tune in in three weeks for the go home show. And then in a month, you'll actually get to see a belt change hands. Yeah, it's true. And there's little things too, like even like getting a rare opportunity to see Sting in action. Like, you know, they always hint at it and more than likely he'll save it for the pay-per-view. And, and rightfully so, I, you know, I can never discredit him after seeing that performance. I'll never forget watching a WrestleMania with you, the one where it was in San Francisco when his first one with WWE and oh, like man. realizing like how much he still had in the tank and like, yeah, he's only getting older and probably slower and losing a step. But like, I love that they just kind of have him on the periphery with Darby Allen to help put him over right now. And I love that because he was Mr. WCW that was always opposed to WWE for so many years, you know, that he kind of is filling that role again. And, and the cool thing with the booking AEW is you literally don't know, like you could tune in next week and he might actually be in action. And it's such a like awesome treat versus, you know, the other ones where it's so clear that it's like, Oh, we're going to get taker. Cause it's, it's WrestleMania season or, Oh, Brock yeah. Lesnar's back in town. He, he must need some more money for whatever. So, you know, looks like they re-signed him, you know? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. John Cena's got a new movie coming out. So I'm sure he'll be coming back for a while. Well, and the fact that they find themselves having to use like the marquee. So they'll even bring it up. It's like, Oh, you know, and don't get me wrong, the dirt sheets are always going to have some information, but that it's like, oh yeah, and they're already advertising Goldberg for this. And it's just <laughs> like, you know, that was that was probably the most exciting thing that happened at last year's WrestleMania was that both Brock and Goldberg got basically just destroyed. And it was like, I, I was sitting there because, you know, I'm a, a don't ask me why, but I'm a Braun Strowman guy. And it was just, I was already so ready to be disappointed by the Goldberg match where it was just like, you know, he takes out the fiend, which was another cool one. And it's just, yeah, the concept of like, all right, I get that he's in great shape, but you can't, you can't show me that, you know, someone's unbeatable and then tell me that a 53 year old man who's, you know, really going gray is going to top him. So yeah, I do. I, I think you're right on too, that the way that they've used, especially the older legends, it really is the best form of enhancement talent. Yes. That like you said, you know, Sting was the outsider, you know, never, never joined NWO, even when it had 17 members. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Darby, who's kind of, you know, got the similar thing. He's, he's the skateboarder, you know, he's not in any of the factions. Yeah. And so, yeah, to pair them together is like, hey, you know, you know, Sting is important. Anyone yes. who's a wrestling fan knows Sting is important. So by putting him next to Darby, you're putting your full support. And, you know, then using like a cinematic match, which I, I don't know where you land on those and the, the growth of them over, especially the pandemic. But I, I you know, they, they're important because I think that like, an understated part of like what made like the fun, I guess, attitude era of WWE were all those crazy moments that happened either backstage or even just like some stupid thing. Like you had mentioned, like the, this is your life thing with the rock and mankind. I always think of like stone cold with the beer truck, like coming oh, down. Such a, such an incredible set piece. Like, yeah. Or even, you know, Kurt angle with the milk truck for that matter. But <laughs> just like instances like that like it, it's more or less the same concept it's just more controlled and you can do a bit more with it and you know in, in wwe's case they're specifically kind of marketing more again towards the kids so i think that there's so much potential to utilize it so i can't knock that 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, I like how AEW balances out with the action that you see in rings where you almost look forward to that, where it's like, oh, that let's give them a chance to breathe after that nice, you know, what six man tag match that you'll see with some crazy high flyers where it's like just nonstop. Whoa. Like, oh, yeah, that that last uh, dynamite with the Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers versus the, the Luchadors. Oh, yeah. I just I couldn't believe I mean, the, the pace that that match went at, it was one of those things where it's like when like a backstage, a backstage segment <laughs> shows up and you're like, all right, good. I need, I needed this. Like I couldn't, <laughs> I, I, I had to, I had to really register what I just saw. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think that has been fun. And I mean, I think uh, AEW's also done a fun job with kind of the set pieces you know, I think they've been doing gimmick matches, but they're doing them in a pretty interesting manner. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the, the last episode, the arcade one. Yeah. Which had me really nervous when I saw a couple of those actual machines. And then I was glad when Miro <laughs> picked up the Mortal Kombat. I saw the screen. It's just like tokens. <laughs> it's like, okay, good. It's, it's made of cardboard. <laughs> we're, okay, we're okay here. But like the fact that when they're doing like a gimmick, there was still so much good wrestling mixed into it. Mm-hmm. it wasn't one of those things where it's like let's see how many you know okay let's see we got eight arcade machines to destroy like you know obviously and as it was rightfully the whack-a-mole games got to come into play <laughs> which continues and, and maybe this will have to be one of our our evergreen concepts of like inanimate objects that are made far more dangerous by wrestling because like the <laughs> whack-a-mole mallets doing some serious damage was a great one as I'm pretty sure I actually hit my sister's hands with those about half a dozen times and didn't do anything. <laughs> but that's that's a great topic, and I'm sure we'll have to cover it another time because I think there's just a number of them shooting through my head right now. Oh yeah, no, I, I had the same thought. I was like, oh man, that's Pandora's box. <laughs> That'll be a pad of paper and a half to come up with everything. I was gonna say too, like I forget where I saw it, but I did hear some uh, a pretty relatively um, credible wrestling source mentioned that uh taking a bump on legos is actually more painful than thumbtacks so um oh i i don't doubt it in the slightest because i was i was thinking about that because uh there's a match that i got to go back and watch it was the uh the thunder rosa Britt baker great match um, great match yeah which i i really wanted to see but i was thinking about how you know you can't you can't fake the thumbtack spot but then mm-hmm. there's that part of me that's like well it's actually you know I use the term not so bad loosely, but yeah, it's sharp, you know, it's, it's going to go in. It's like, they always say, cut yourself with a sharp knife on a dull one. So then, yeah, the concept of the Lego is just like, <laughs> oh man, like, you know, they, they really did nail it with, yeah, if you ever stepped on a damn Lego and it's like, I feel like I've, you know, I, I need to show someone one clip for the wrestling is real. Let's just find like a, you know, my cousin who's got three little boys. I could show that clip to his wife and she would, you know, probably just go pale in the face. So <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Uh, real quick, who are your top three talents right now for AEW? Oh, man. I'll give you a few of mine just to get your okay. mind Yeah, flowing. give, me, give um, me rolling so I can see where you're at. Uh, Moxley. Moxley's probably my favorite wrestler currently active. Um, okay. When I watch him in action, I literally see exactly what I think, imagine John Carpenter saw when he cast Rowdy Rowdy Piper in They Live. Like... The only difference is that Rowdy just like the second he was on camera is just such a goofball. He just took it way too seriously and didn't do it. But that just like rugged attitude 
of where he seems like he genuinely is like a dirtbag who just likes to fight. Like he just embodies that character. He just has such a swagger and charisma about him. And it stood out so much when you, you, you know, back in his time in WWE, where it was like, even though Rollins and, you know, Reigns were clearly physically much more imposing and, you know, much more traditionally handsome, he just always had a place as Dean Ambrose that, you know, as the kind of unspoken leader. And uh, yeah, now that he's kind of on his own, I just think he's great. So. No, I think, I think that's a, a great example um, because I, I do, the swagger is really what did stand out when there was last episode and he walked to the ring and it was kind of like, you felt like he had something up his sleeve, but he also just seems like that guy that's willing to get into the fight, lose it and then be like, yeah, but all three of them are going to hurt in the morning. And it's just like, all right, then like tough to have a rivalry with a guy who's, you know, ready to walk into something like that. Yeah. It's, it's almost like that whole, the character Bruce Willis used to play in movies before he like lost his ability to move, let alone give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. He's got a very John McClane quality to him where it's like, if you, if you saw him on the street, you wouldn't have the natural, like, oh shit like you know that's that's roman reigns or like that's brian cage like this guy is clearly terrifying but then when like all of a sudden you know the two guys like walk in and say everyone get on the ground and then he just like saunters up to him it's like okay that a little out of the blue but it kind of makes sense kind of see it now so no i think i think you're spot on uh yeah moxley i i absolutely adore um same with kenny omega like Kenny Omega, like I mentioned before, like there's no way he would ever go over in WWE, but I just think he's so talented. And I think like he's got that perfect level right now where he's got like the stupid hair and everything. And just like that, that just like, it's he's playing just such a classic heel right now, but like his talent and ring is just unmatched. And um, yeah, I, I can only imagine like what he's going to do when he gets the, a perfect rival, um, moving forward he's already had some pretty fantastic bouts but i'm curious to see as as some of these younger guys we've alluded to kind of get put over a bit more um how exciting that's going to be yeah i think i think i would definitely have to agree that kenny's in my top three and a big part of that was because for me he was like this like it was like a wrestling boogeyman like I'd listen to things and it was always like Mm -hmm. you know oh and you know match the year well it's obviously not going to be um Omega and gosh, who's the guy who we had like the two or three matches with over in Japan? His name is escaping me, but it was it was someone where it was like any time they would talk about like a WWE match, it was like, well, it's not going to be beating you know Kenny Omega and so and so. Or then they'd talk about you know like the the Shock Royal Rumble, and oh well, you know if if Kenny Omega. But then the thing was that I never really knew where to jump in because it's like you know especially as someone who hadn't been watching much wrestling, you know diving into a twenty minute match where you don't know much seemed like a bit much, but having, having seen him, it was like, okay, this hype does make sense. And I, I kind of like what you're saying that he's got kind of that concept of when you see him, you're kind of like, that's it. Really? That's, that's mm-hmm. the guy best wrestler in the world. Huh? You know, it's like, yep. you know, it's the typical wrestler thing where it's like, yeah, you know, you look at his arms and his shoulders and, you know, any, any guy off the street would kill to have, you know, the, the muscle that he does, but because he ends up standing next to, you know, Doc Gallows, who's, you know, arm is the size of my quad. <laughs> he doesn't seem as imposing, but then, yeah, you watch him get into the, into the ring. And I got to say the, the one winged angel is such a cool finisher. 
Like, it's amazing. I, I went, my one knock on it, and, and we'll get further into it because I do want to talk finishers with you another time. But my one knock on it is it's such a ridiculous setup. That, like, like, I'm looking forward to him adding an additional component, like a, another comparable move. I know he has like a running knee that he's been yeah, doing. A yeah, lot. the V trigger, which is a good one. But, it's uh, kind of it. It's going to have to evolve into that one that comes out of nowhere in particular. Because right now, yeah. like, when you see him clearly setting up for it, it's such a ridiculous thing that it's like... But I think you summed him up perfectly. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a similarity. Like, I guess the easiest one is think of, like, when you watch UFC or something like that, and you look at a guy who just does not look at all like a fighter, and then you realize he's one of the best in his division... Like that's Kenny Omega. Like yeah. you're right. Like he's he's clearly very athletic and very takes care of himself. But like in comparison to John Cena, The Rock, Triple yeah. H, like this guy doesn't look anything on bar with that. And yeah, it, it's he's he is amazing. And yeah, I, I think you you clearly conveyed the same thing I felt like like I mentioned like some of those guys I used to see from ECW where like Sabu I remember was like the crazy guy where you would catch like a 30 second clip on like some torrent site online of him, like just diving off a balcony through like 20 tables or something. It's like, who the hell is this guy? And, and eventually by the time he made it to the WWE, he was so washed that it was like, you know, Taz too. It was like Taz. Like I remember telling everybody, it's like, Oh man, he, he draws the 13 on his gloves. Cause he can do 13 different suplexes. He shows up like wrestles once, I think does like one German suplex and then immediately retires the announcer booth. And it's like, ah, I, I love that you brought up the AEW balcony thing. Cause I do love the concept of whoever was scouting the venue, just being able to be like walked into the greatest venue in the world and being like, where's the balcony. It's like, Oh, we don't, we don't really have one next. And then it's like you walk into just like some shithole dive bar. And then it's like, you know, I don't know about this. It's like, well, we got a, a balcony, but it's like 35 feet in the air. It's really close at most of the time. It's like, oh, it's perfect. Book it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But continuing with the list, I'll, I'll jump in that I think even though, like I said, the his, his ring stuff, he's he's still in his early days. Um, but I just got to give MJF love because I think he's right now kind of at that wrestling equivalent of he kind of can work to his his talent that if you put him with someone that can really go bell to bell, he's going to be able to give you a good show, but he's not going to be able to, you know, Ric Flair put on the match with the broom or anything. But I just can't get over how much every time I, I see him on screen, I just I know that it's going to be something good. And that's just something that, you know, there have been so many guys that, you know, oh, we can do it between the ropes. I mean, I think one of the funniest ones I've heard about is that everyone says Dean Malenko was like the funniest guy in the world backstage. But I mean, <laughs> like, you know, you, you couldn't have gotten less personality if you would put, you know, a Mickey Mouse head on him or something like <laughs> And with MJF, I just feel so the other way that I think, you know, he's so young that I think the, the between the rope stuff is going to continue to develop. But I think when you've got the ability to create so much heat before the match that people are going to be so invested from the get go that your yeah. matches are just instantly going to climb a little bit because, you know, 
when he was, you know, going up against Cody and they had that feud, it was like every, you know, I, I was buying in again, like I was a kid, just, I was so, you know, pissed off every time he got something off. And it was like, you know, it didn't have to be a phenomenal move because I was just so annoyed with him and his stupid scarf. <laughs> I was going to say too, I, I think he's the perfect age for the social media component to wrestling. Mm-hmm. That is clearly something that WWE is struggling with. Like, obviously they have superstars who have got it down and, and any of their big names are going to be fine with that regard. But like with the mandated streaming and all that stuff where they're really just struggling to figure out how to fully conceptualize it. And I really think that like MJF, like I, I he just seems to like put out all these like Instagram things that are just so dorky and just so like just chachi, like jock, like kind of things that like only work if you have the type of personality he's conveying but because nobody like quite realizes he's a wrestler they just assume he's some like gym douche who's like posing and being like like i saw one that got kind of a lot of attention where it was like him flexing he's like i don't play dungeons and dragons or something and it got all this like response from people who were like well i do you know like yeah no i, I saw that because like joe manchiliano who was yeah, like death yeah. stroke in the snyder cut and is you know one of the the most like physically in shape and good looking men on the planet is also like a hardcore D guy so like he came to like defense of the nerds and everyone you know you have this like storyline building and no one realizes that you're just taking the bait from this guy yeah which all, i like, can only imagine you know he just assumed he was just some douche in the gym just like people like yeah those are nerds not realizing that it's like a younger guy who thought this through thoroughly of like being like this is clearly going to cause a reaction and people people are going to wonder who i am now and i think he's perfectly set up like i love that they paired him up with the old guy from the four horsemen i his name eludes me right now but like Uh, totally blanchard Yes. And, and that's a great thing where he, cause he is, he's a, he's a lesser known member of the original four horsemen where, you know, the old, old hats will love that. Or like, you know, old fans will maybe look him up like I had to do, but um, you know, it, it really is kind of creating that same concept of like a division, like the, he's clearly the forefront MJF, but you know, he he's being backed by, you know, a very similar structure to the, the classic four horsemen. So who's, who's your number three? You know, number three, I'll, if Cody's, Cody's my honorable mention because I love Cody okay. and I really, I, I'm so impressed with what he's managed to build because I felt like he's he's very much deserved it. Um, you know, he, he always put in the, the talent and like despite having, you know, his, his kind of goofy family dynamics, you know, he always seems to be really loyal to that. And I always appreciate that despite the WWE not exactly being the the greatest at taking care of some of their older talent or and or young you know up and coming talent despite their pedigree but um no I, I love Cody but you know Cody gets enough claim so I, I'm gonna say Fat Jericho and and I don't think it's fat shaming to call him Fat Jericho because that guy used to be an amazing athlete for a long stretch of time as a in-ring performer and he clearly does not give a shit anymore and i think it's so perfect because now it conveys his personality with his body type so well to being a guy who can still land a lion salt despite the fact that he clearly has just like the ted dibiase like beer gut rocking all the time and he clearly like looks like he doesn't pay attention at all to anyone else in the whole entire division like 
it seems like he just shows up and is confident enough in his abilities that he'll put over a match despite not knowing his opponent's finisher not knowing their like what their like tendencies are i think he just shows up and wings it and is still that damn good so yeah, I'm glad you said that because there are two things that stood out that one, I feel like he's still going to have the like once a year where he like quits drinking for like a month, goes like keto and then does the like Instagram <laughs> pick of like, you know, 54 still looking good. But then it's like fast forward like a month and it'll be right back. And so I love that you brought up the lion salt because he had the time when it just totally got botched. And so then like, <laughs> he made like a huge point of like in his next match hitting one and kind of doing like, like, Hey, yeah, yeah. still got it. <laughs> so no, that's, that's a great choice. Um, see, I'm uh, for me, an honorable mention is definitely Darby who we talked about a decent bit. I think he's, um, he's just a fascinating guy. Like came from the skateboarding background, which, you know, is taking bumps except on concrete. So I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of the interesting, uh, I mean, there was the case of him getting like thrown in the body bag by Brian Cage, which I think you have to be absolutely insane to do. Yeah. Um, but I will, I will take your honorable mention and make him my three of Cody, especially because I, I feel like there's a storyline that I really want someone to bring up and maybe it'll be Arn of how many times can you get betrayed by someone until it has to start being you and not them? <laughs> because it's like one of his first feuds is with his own brother. Yes. Who, you know, kind of turns on him. He has MJF turn on him. Now he's got like the Nightmare Academy. They all turn on him. And it's just like at some point is Arn just going to be like, listen, Cody, I think we're going about this the wrong way. Because every time we think we're gaining some ground, someone turns and stabs you in the back. And it just, it, it, it got me thinking of a very great and underrated movie of Lucky Number Seven, And ben, <laughs> ben Kingsley's character says, someone calls you a horse, you punch him in the mouth. Second guy calls you a horse, you call him a jerk. Third guy calls you a horse, it might be time to go shopping for a saddle. So I'm wondering if this is just building for Cody's real heel turn of just like he gets betrayed for like the seventh time and does the like, I'm just going to betray everyone because it's inevitably going to happen to me. So maybe that's him like turning on Arn. So that's my that's my low key storyline that I'm really looking forward to. Is it just being the like, oh, my God, they killed Kenny. Like, oh, my God, you betrayed Cody. So <laughs> I like that. And I, I think you're on to something there. And I think that it's perfect timing coinciding with the reality show coming out and just with, you know, him being essentially top of the world in terms of wrestler with what is he on that other like talent show thing? That yeah. Have on. I, I love Cody too. That stupid neck tattoo. Like, God, so that was a killer, especially because he had, you know, one, the whole gimmick of being like the dash and Cody Rhodes, it was spot on dude yeah. is an absolutely great looking man like you know clear as day which is what made also like the disfigured cody Rhodes gimmick so funny when it happened <laughs> but yeah so then he gets he gets one tattoo and it's dream you know honoring his dad and still and then it's just like you know what i'm gonna do for my second one you know i'm gonna take something that looks like it should be stuck on the back of a laptop and put it on my neck <laughs> like i might have to get that that sticker and just put it on something as my my shout out to cody but 
Well, and it, it's yeah. such a shame because it's a decent enough logo and I, I can respect what he was going for, but it's just so big and gaudy. <laughs> and I loved his like quote too, like immediately after he got it, like was that the whole concept was he was trying to build his own brand because he wears enough brand name clothing and whatnot that he's like sick of putting that over. He wants to build his own, but he just picked the size a bit too big. So it just is this giant blotch now. And it's yeah. like... I just, I don't know, something about botching your giant tattoo reveals is quite amazing to me. It's it's a tough one. Like, you know, maybe that maybe that'll come out as part of the storyline, too, that the tattoo artist betrayed him as well. So <laughs> he wanted something smaller and then he just had to play it off. So everybody hates Cody. <laughs> right on. I believe you have one more to go. OK, I, I can I can throw in one more. Who's really been stand? Actually, you know who I'll go with because I really liked him before and I just watched him be awesome was Miro. Mm. I think he's been a lot of fun. I think that they it's one of those cases where he was like a big guy. Yeah. And they kind of sold him as being a big guy in WWE. But then at any given time, you could really like stand him up like next to Cena or something who was still like three inches taller than him. Mm -hmm. So I've really enjoyed getting to see him kind of go back to being a real bruiser but he also just has this like slightly unhinged quality that i'm really enjoying like i because i think that was another case where like you had a guy who if you watched any of his like streaming and gaming stuff like a really funny charismatic like personable dude but then you know they they want to give him in some of the greatest 80s booking of all time like hey you're from a country in eastern europe like you want to put putin over so i i've really been enjoying the fact that they've got him kind of in some storylines like when he was kind of like walking up to the van last night and he like waves and it's kind of like it's like is he creepy is he unhinged is he a little like <laughs> childlike i don't know but then at the same time he's also just such a good big man like you know seeing someone that can throw kicks like that at that size is just really fun to watch and that's just another case of them really utilizing the mid card well that you know the fact of you know him and the best friends and orange cassidy who i guess we'll have to get to on another one because he's a whole fun conversation but the fact that they have so many feuds that don't have any belt involved yeah and i'm very invested and that's something that i think has really been a struggle you know elsewhere it's like when you've got you know your four singles belts and two tag team belts it just feels like if there's not that, it has to be some absolutely crazy thing like setting someone on fire, <laughs> which has been an interesting storyline. But yeah, so I think, I think you know, I, I'm still, especially as I'm watching more, I think the, the list will change. So maybe we'll do some, some shorter ones with power rankings as we go. Um, because like I said, you know, watching the, the Penta, uh, Lucha Bros, Laredo Kid match, like, you know, that was the first time I'd really seen those guys going that fast for a while. And it was just, you know, it was really refreshing to see yeah. that again, since I feel like, you know, in WWE, they've kind of, they've bring cruiserweights in, but it's okay. You get your 30 seconds of offense and then, oh, but they can't overcome the size of such and such. No, you're absolutely right. And, and actually I'm glad you mentioned Miro because like, one thing I'll mention with him is like, it's so nice to see a guy who kind of departed WWE with like, he seemed to have a lot going for him when that kind of went down. And generally in the past, like, I feel like those guys would go to an organization like a TNA 
or WCW way back when, and they would just basically be thrust into the spotlight. And it's like, Hey, we got so-and-so, you know, I get why they would do it, but it's like, he's so talented. He's so good. But like, I love that they're just kind of biding their time. It's like, yeah. he can, you can turn them into anything. Like, you know, that, that guy's got all the talent in the world. It's just a matter of like, let's not ruin what we have going with our headliners right now. Yeah. Just cause we got the new shiny toy that it's, you know, Mm -hmm. oh we got a great moxley and omega match and oh my god is that you know yeah exactly miro yeah you've seen so many of these debuts where like any other like in any or other organization they would just immediately be like and he's going to be challenging at the next pay-per-view for the title (laughs) it's like oh good like i don't even know who this guy is like you know versus this it's like you see like a christian cage like just had his debut and it was nice and drawn out methodical and he put on an amazing technical match you know and it was very much it's like at any point in time this guy could be a potential contender but they don't need to instantly hand him the keys and be like all right you're our new headliner you know no i i agree i think i think the mid card's really been fun yeah Anyway, it's been a pleasure catching up on wrestling here with you, oh, Daniel. Yeah. And I um, uh, cannot wait to do this again sometime near in the near future. So, all right. Well, with that all being said, guys, gals, any non-binary pals, thank you so much for listening to our wrestling show. Thank you.